Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from The Wonder Book by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Miraculous Pitcher. And when and where do you think we will find the children next? No longer in the winter time, but in the merry month of May. No longer in Tanglewood Playroom or at Tanglewood Fireside, but more than halfway up a monstrous hill or a mountain, as perhaps it would be better pleased to have us call it. They had set out from home with the mighty purpose of climbing this high hill, even to the very tip-top of its bald head. To be sure, it was not quite so high as Chimborazo or Mount Blanc, and was even a good deal lower than old Greylock. But at any rate, it was higher than a thousand ant hillocks or a million of mole hills, and when measured by the short strides of little children, might be reckoned a very respectable mountain. And was Cousin Eustace with the party? Of that you may be certain, else how could the book go on a step further? He was now in the middle of the spring vacation, and looked pretty much as we saw him four or five months ago, except that, if you gazed quite closely at his upper lip, you could discern the funniest little bit of mustache upon it. Setting aside this mark of mature manhood, you might have considered Cousin Eustace just as much a boy as when you first became acquainted with him. He was as merry, as playful, as good-humored, as light of foot and of spirits, and equally a favorite with the little folks as he had always been. This expedition up the mountain was entirely of his contrivance. All the way up the steep ascent, he had encouraged the elder children with his cheerful voice, and when Dandelion, Cowslip, and Squash Blossom grew weary, he had lugged them along, alternately, on his back. In this manner, they had passed through the orchards and pastures on the lower part of the hill, and had reached the wood, which extends thence towards its bare summit. The month of May thus far had been more amiable than it often is, and this was as sweet and genial a day as the heart of man or child could wish. In their progress up the hill, the small people had found enough of the violets, blue and white, and some that were as golden as if they had the touch of Midas on them. That social list of flowers, the little Houstonia, was very abundant. It is a flower that never lives alone, but which loves its own kind, and is always fond of dwelling with a great many friends and relatives around it. Sometimes you see a family of them, covering a space no bigger than the palm of your hand, and sometimes a large community, whitening a whole tract of pasture, and all keeping one another in cheerful heart and life. Within the verge of the wood there were columbines, looking more pale than red, because they were so modest, and had thought very proper to exclude themselves too anxiously from the sun. There were wild geraniums, too, and a thousand white blossoms of the strawberry. The trailing arboretus was not quite yet out of bloom, but it hid its precious flowers under last year's withered forest leaves, as carefully as a mother bird hides its own young ones. It knew, I suppose, how beautiful and sweet-scented they were. So cunning was their concealment that the children sometimes smelt the delicious richness of their perfume before they knew whence it proceeded. 
amid so much new life, it was strange and truly pitiful to behold here and there, in the fields and pastures, the hoary periwigs of dandelions that had already gone to seed. They had done with summer before the summer came. Within those small globes of winged seeds, it was autumn now. Well, but we must not waste our valuable pages with any more talk about the springtime and wild flowers. There is something, we hope, more interesting to be talked about. If you look at the group of children, you may see them all gathered around Eustace Bright, who, sitting on the stump of a tree, seems to be just beginning a story. The fact is, the younger part of the troop have found out that it takes rather too many of their short strides to measure the long ascent of the hill. Cousin Eustace, therefore, has decided to leave sweet fern, cowslip, squash blossom, and dandelion at this point midway up, until the return of the rest of the party from the summit. And, because they complain a little, and do not quite like to stay behind, he gives them some apples out of his pockets, and proposes to tell them a very pretty story. Hereupon they brighten up, and change their grieved looks into the broadest kind of smiles. As for the story, I was there to hear it hidden behind a bush, and shall tell it over to you in the pages that come next. One evening, in times long ago, old Philemon and his old wife Boschus sat at their cottage door, enjoying the calm and beautiful sunset. They had already eaten their frugal supper, and intended now to spend a quiet hour or two before bedtime. So they talked together about their garden, and their cow, and their bees, and their grapevine, which clambered over the cottage wall, and on which the grapes were beginning to turn purple. But the rude shouts of children, and the fierce barking of dogs in the village near at hand, grew louder and louder, until at last it was hardly possible for Boschus and Philemon to hear each other speak. "'Oh, wife,' cried Philemon, "'I fear some poor traveller is seeking hospitality among our neighbours yonder, "'and instead of giving him food and lodging, "'they have set their dogs at him as their custom is.' "'Well a day,' answered old Boschus. "'I do wish our neighbours felt a little more kindness for their fellow creatures, "'and only think of bringing up their children in this naughty way, "'and patting them on the head when they fling stones at strangers.' "'Those children will never come to any good,' said Philemon, shaking his white head. "'To tell you the truth, wife, I should not wonder if some terrible thing were to happen to all the people in the village, unless they mend their manners. But, as for you and me, so long as Providence affords us a crust of bread, let us be ready to give half to any poor homeless stranger that may come along and need it.' "'That's right, husband,' said Boschus. "'So we will.' These old folks, you must know, were quite poor, and had to work pretty hard for a living. Old Philemon toiled diligently in his garden, while Boschus was always busy with her distaff, or making a little butter and cheese with their cow's milk, or doing one thing and another about the cottage. Their food was seldom anything but bread, milk, and vegetables, with sometimes a portion of honey from their beehive, and now and then a bunch of grapes that had ripened against the cottage wall. "'but they were two of the kindest old people in the world, "'and would have cheerfully gone without their dinners any day, "'rather than to refuse a slice of their brown loaf, "'a cup of new milk, and a spoonful of honey "'to the weary traveller who might pause before their door. "'They felt as if such guests had a sort of holiness, "'and they ought, therefore, to treat them better "'and more bountifully than their own selves. "'Their cottage stood on a rising ground "'at some short distance from the village, "'which lay in a hollow valley.' that was about a half-mile in breadth. This valley, in ages past, when the world was new, had probably been the bed of a lake. 
There, fishes had glided to and fro in the depths, and water weeds had grown along the margin, and heat, trees, and hills had seen their reflected images in the broad and peaceful mirror. But as the water subsided, men had cultivated the soil and built houses on it, so it was now a fertile spot, and bore no traces of the ancient lake, except a very small brook, which meandered through the midst of the village and supplied the inhabitants with water. The valley had been dry land so long that oaks had sprung up, and grown great and high, and perished with old age, and succeeded by others, as tall and as stately as the first. Never was there a prettier or more fruitful valley." The very sight of plenty around them should have made the inhabitants kind and gentle, and ready to show their gratitude to Providence by doing good to their fellow creatures. But we are sorry to say that the people of this lovely village were not worthy to dwell in a spot on which heaven had so smiled benevolently. They were a very selfish and hard-hearted people, and had no pity for the poor, nor sympathy for the homeless. They would have only laughed had anyone told them that human beings owe a debt of love to one another, because there is no other method of paying the debt of love and care which all of us owe to Providence. You will hardly believe what I am going to tell you. These naughty people taught their children to be no better than themselves, and used to clap their hands by way of encouragement when they saw the little boys and girls run after some poor stranger, shouting at his heels and pelting him with stones. They kept large and fierce dogs, and whenever a traveler ventured to show himself in the village street, this pack of disagreeable curs scampered to meet him, barking, snarling, and showing their teeth. Then they would seize him by his leg, or by his clothes, just as it happened, and if he was ragged when he came, he was generally a pitiable object before he had time to run away. This was a very terrible thing to poor travelers, as you may suppose, especially when they chanced to be sick or feeble or lame or old. Such persons, if they once knew how badly these unkind people and their unkind children and curs were in the habit of behaving, would go miles and miles out of their way rather than try to pass through the village again. What made matters seem worse, if possible, was that when rich persons came in their chariots, or riding on beautiful horses with their servants in rich liveries attending on them, nobody could be more civil or obsequious than the villagers, than the inhabitants of the village. They would take off their hats and make the humblest bows you ever saw. If the children were rude, they were pretty certain to get their ears boxed. And for the dogs... If a single cur in the pack presumed to yelp, his master instantly beat him with a club and tied him up without any supper. This would have all been very well, only it proved that the villagers cared much about the money that a stranger had in his pocket, and nothing whatever for the human soul, which lives equally in the beggar and the prince. So now you can understand why old Philemon spoke so sorrowfully when he heard the shouts of the children and the barking of the dogs at the farther extremity of the village street. There was a confused din, which lasted a good while, and seemed to pass quite through the breadth of the valley. "'I never heard the dogs so loud,' observed the good old man. "'Nor the children so rude,' answered his good old wife." They sat shaking their heads one to another, while the noise came nearer and nearer, until, at the foot of the little eminence on which their cottage stood, they saw two travelers approaching on foot. Close behind them came the fierce dogs, snarling at their very heels. 
A little farther off ran a crowd of children who sent up shrill cries and flung stones at the two strangers with all their might. Once or twice, the younger of the two men, he was a very slender and active figure, turned about and drove back the dogs with a staff which he carried in his hand. His companion, who was a very tall person, walked calmly along, as if disdaining to notice either the naughty children or the pack of curs, whose manners the children seemed to imitate. Both of the travelers were very humbly clad, and looked as if they might not have money enough in their pockets to pay for a night's lodging. And this, I am afraid, was the reason why the villagers had allowed their children and dogs to treat them so rudely. "'Come, wife,' said Philemon to Bacchus. "'Let us go and meet these poor people. No doubt they feel almost too heavy-hearted to climb the hill.' "'Go you and meet them,' answered Bacchus, "'while I make haste within doors "'and see whether we can get them anything for supper. "'A comfortable bowl of bread and milk "'would do wonders toward raising their spirits.' "'Accordingly, she hastened into the cottage. "'Philemon, on his part, went forward "'and extended his hand with so hospitable an aspect "'that there was no need of saying "'what nevertheless he did say, "'in the heartiest tone imaginable. "'Welcome, strangers, welcome!' "'Thank you,' replied the younger of the two in a lively kind of way, notwithstanding his weariness and trouble. This is quite another greeting than we have met in yonder in the village. Pray, why do you live in such a bad neighborhood? Ah, observed old Philemon, with a quiet and benign smile, Providence put me here. I hope, among other reasons, in order that I might make you what amends I can for the inhospitality of my neighbors." "'Well said, old father,' cried the traveller, laughing. "'And, if truth must be told, my companions and myself need some amends. "'Those children, the little rascals, have bespattered us finely with their mud-balls, "'and one of the curs has torn my cloak, which was ragged enough already. "'But I took him across the muzzle with my staff, "'and I think you may have heard him yelp, even thus far off.' "'Philemon was glad to see him in such good spirits.' Nor, indeed, would you have fancied, by the traveler's look and manner, that he was weary with a long day's journey, besides being disheartened by rough treatment at the end of it. He was dressed in rather an odd way, with a sort of cap on his head, the brim of which stuck out over both ears. Though it was the summer evening, he wore a cloak which he kept wrapped closely about him, perhaps because his undergarments were shabby. Philemon perceived, too, that he had on a singular pair of shoes. But, as it was now growing dusk, and as the old man's eyesight was none the sharpest, he could not precisely tell in what strangeness consisted. One thing certainly seemed queer. The traveler was so wonderfully light and active that it appeared as if his feet sometimes rose from the ground of their own accord, or could be kept down only by effort. "'I used to be light-footed in my youth,' said Philemon to the traveller. "'But I always found my feet grow heavier toward nightfall.' "'There is nothing like a good staff to help one along,' answered the stranger. "'And I happen to have an excellent one, as you see.' "'This staff, in fact, was the oddest-looking staff that Philemon had ever beheld. "'It was made of olive wood, and had something like a little pair of wings near the top.' Two snakes carved in the wood were represented as twining themselves about the staff, and were so very skillfully executed that old Philemon, whose eyes, you know, were getting rather dim, almost thought them alive, and he could see them wriggling and twisting. "'A curious piece of work, sure enough,' he said. "'A staff with wings! It would be an excellent kind of stick for a little boy to ride astride of.'"
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchanted library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.